Welcome to Fable and the Verbivore. I'm Fable, Beth Stedman. And I'm the Verbivore, Laura Johnson. And this is a podcast for writers who read, readers who write, and, and everyone, everyone who, who loves, loves words. In today's episode, we're talking about a poetry book. And as part of the experience, we've had a handful of the authors volunteer to read short sections of their poems, a stanza or a line or two. These will be interspliced throughout the interview, and we hope that you enjoy them and it gives you a taste of what this book is about. So today we have Stephanie Ascoff with us, and we have had her on the show before to talk about her writing um, quite a while ago now. She is a dear part of our writing community, so we're really excited to have her back because she has a new project that I am honored to have gotten to be a part of, and it was just so fun, and we just want to kind of dive into talking with her about that project and how it came to be and, and what her experience was with it. So it is a poetry book, a collection of po- poetry from a whole handful of writers um, who reimagined fairy tale poems, and yeah, it just was, it was a delight to get to be part of it, Stephanie, and I'm really glad to have you here to talk about it. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And I'm also so glad that you got to be a part of it. <laughs> well, I didn't mention the title, The Wistful Wild. So go look, <laughs> go find it. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, just, it was a lovely experience. Yeah. And as a reader collect- of this collection, I loved seeing what all the different authors did with the different pieces. It's a great it's just a great combination of things. And I just, I, I soaked it up. I read them over time, marinated in them. So I also suggest that you go and read it. We, we normally start our interviews talking about, um, with authors talking about story. And we've already asked you that question before. So what we were thinking is actually, how did you find and connect with poetry? And how did these poems um, in your forward, you kind of talks about having kind of almost a, like a, a rush of inspiration um, from your muse to write these. Do you want to talk about first connecting with poetry and then also the writing the poems for this collection? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't remember when I first connected with poetry, but <clears throat> my great grandmother wrote a lot of poetry. Like I have this big box that's like handwritten poems that she's written and eventually I want to like compile them into a book so that's a really cool part of my my family history but as far as me personally jumping into it I don't remember when I started I know for a long time I was Mm -hmm. like I'm not a poet I can't do that and Mm -hmm. I love that there are so many different styles there's so many different kinds of poetry Mary Oliver was probably one of my first like deep dives into poetry where I read an entire poetry book and Lucy Shaw was another one. It's just been kind of like bits and pieces, like picking up a lot from the writer community on Instagram. And that's been a really big piece of it. And then other anthologies that I've picked up that have had like some poetry in it as well. So yeah, kind of like a breadcrumb trail of <laughs> finding my way to poetry and like exploring around in it. <laughs> I love that. That's so cool about your great grandmother and that you have those, like that they've been kept and preserved. Like what a legacy. Yeah. It's very special. And so then that second part, like what prompted you to start writing these poems? Yes. Yes. Um, So I've written the poems that I 
included in the anthology over a few years. A couple of the Beauty and the Beast poems I wrote while I was working on a draft of a novel that's a Beauty and the Beast retelling that still has yet to be finished. <laughs> um, and then I think the others, I just, I'd been in a writing slump. This was uh, about a year ago now, actually. And I just sat down and wrote a bunch of poetry one morning. And of course, I'd been picking up things about these different fairy tales over time. I include poems from four specific fairy tales. I thought, okay, I have a, a small number of poems. I don't want to just submit them to different publishing, you know, different poetry publications. I don't want to write more really, but it's not enough to publish on their own. So I could just invite people and kind of like make something together that people, you know, a project that people would like to participate in. And one of the things that appealed to me about that so much is just that, you know, you can look at fairy tales from so many different perspectives. And when you invite mm -hmm. a bunch of people to write about the same stories, you're going to get so many different perspectives and so many different styles. And I just, I love that variety and diversity. Yes. So it's still kind of funny to me how that idea just like popped into my head. And I was like, oh, this makes sense. I did take a while to think about it because we were going to move last year. We moved last summer and I knew that was going to take a lot of energy. And so I wanted to be able to work around that, but I sort of worked out a time frame, And then I like sent out emails to a few people that I wanted to invite. Cause as the first time doing this, I was like, I think I'll keep it small and just like invite a few people. And that sounds less scary that way. <laughs> so yeah. And then most of the people responded that they wanted to participate and that was super exciting. Yeah. It was just kind of a several months process of we could share our poems in this shared document with each other and give each other feedback. And like, everybody was absolutely wonderful. You know, we gave each other some advice where we asked for it and just a lot of encouragement. Like that was what I loved. Like I may have started it, but everybody was such a significant part of it. And I just loved that environment of we're cheering each other on. We're like, you know, shrieking at the keyboard going, this is amazing. I love this. <laughs> you know, I and, love that. <laughs> so it was really neat. It was really great. That was a really great experience. And then with the actual publication timeline, I was kind of thinking, well, let's, let's do like late winter, early spring. And then for a moment, like as we crept towards the holidays, I was like, well, maybe we should just do it now because I'm going to like lose momentum. The holidays are, you know, really tiring for most of us, me included. And I was like, oh, maybe I should just publish it now. And I think I even mentioned that to Laura once. And <laughs> I'm pretty sure you said something like, okay, well, you can take your time. <laughs> and like, after thinking about it for a while, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm not going to run out of energy if I like wait. I, my first idea was actually the best one. So yeah, we published it exactly. Well, February 1st was when we published it and mm. yeah, it was a great learning experience. And I just love that, that it's out in the world. Yeah. This was my first time doing like a collaborative project like that. And I agree. Like one of my favorite things was that word document and getting to see what people had put in there and getting to, yeah, just 
say how much I loved all their poems and kind of give feedback and get feedback on mine and, and be able to just help each other um, grow stronger. I think that was really, really great. How did you come up with that? Or like, I think it's fascinating to me, like when people co-write or just any kind of collaborative project. And I'm always curious, like how they do it. And there's so many different ways to approach it. So how did you come up with that idea of like using a shared document and having people comment on it? Did you process through doing other options or other ways to collaborate? Yeah, that idea came to me pretty early. Part of it was, I was like, I don't want to just be like the lone editor up in her tower. I I really want people to like be a part of the process. Um, Cause I'm also like, all right, I could try to do it all on my own, but I don't want to do it. <laughs> so invite people to be as involved as they want to be. And um, I did send out uh, like a writer's, an author contract at the beginning, because I wanted everybody to be very clear about mm-hmm. what was expected of them, what was expected of me. Um, just everybody had a reference point to what our responsibilities were, what was shared, what was an individual thing. But yeah, I just thought, you know, we're all scattered across the U.S. and we can't meet in person, although that would be super fun, but this is just a great way to like a low pressure way to come and go in the document as you please. And when you have time to look at it. Well, and that's some of that handshaking, right? On like, what is, what is my role? What is theirs? And when there's that confusion, sometimes that can bring stress into the, like it seeps into the project and having that so clear I just think that's so wise because then you know exactly what's yours and you know exactly what's theirs. And it's, it's kind of the rest of it kind of falls into place. You get to do your role and kind of just allow it to unfold. I love that. I had just been a part of another anthology with a publishing house and they sent us all author contracts. And I was like, Mm. obviously it's going to be a little different between me and the poetry authors and me and this publishing house. But I was like, this is really helpful for me because I know, Mm -hmm. I know exactly what's expected of me. And I wanted the other authors in this project to know that it goes both ways. Like I'm not Mm -hmm. like on a pedestal, you know, whatever, like we're all in this together. So Mm -hmm. that uh, previous author contract was really helpful for me in drafting the one that we used for this project. I, I love in your forward how you kind of talk about the project and kind of give it context. That was actually, I mean, mm-hmm. it was something that I just thought was really clever to have it also leading. It puts all that we're going to be seeing kind of into this is how we approached it. I loved the kind of sitting around the fire and then the like fullness of time themes that are woven in there where the waiting maybe even a little longer or allowing it time to boil and the things to kind of coalesce and listening to your intuition um how those all came to be do you want to talk about the forward and writing it um and kind of how you approach how to kind of give context to the collection yeah Yeah, that's exactly why like I wanted to provide some context for readers and I've read a lot of like short story anthologies lately and I love reading the forward because I love knowing you know kind of what you're getting into like what was the vision behind this project so I really wanted to provide just a little background and 
kind of set the scene for what what you could expect. Time is on our side and that we were and always are made with the warp and weft of stories, expanding the thread between our hearts. Stir, child, stir. Now whisper the incantation once upon a time, for we have tales to spin. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's one of those things where it's like, it's such a blur now because it felt like it came together really well mm-hmm. that I don't even have any thoughts because it just kind of like plopped into my head, you know? <laughs> I love when that happens. <laughs> it's great when it does, right? <laughs> it's true. I agree though that I really like those like those themes of um come like fullness of time and that slow boil. Like, I think so often as writers, we try to rush things and we get this like anxiety that we have to do it now and we have to publish. And and even what you were sharing about considering publishing it before the holidays and then giving yourself grace to wait. Like I think there's a lot of wisdom in that and we need to remember that some things take time um, and that that's okay. Yeah, exactly. My, the first poems that I wrote for this anthology, I had no idea. I had no thoughts of publishing an anthology. I um, was writing a rough draft of Beauty and the Beast and wrote a couple poems just for that. Those poems just sat in a folder for, I don't know, two or three years. Then I just sort of, you know, one day I had this burst of inspiration for all these other poems. And of course, yeah, I'd been absorbing a lot of things over the years. Um, A lot of classes, a lot of just reading old fairy tales, a lot of reading fun retellings. I love that we're in a period where retellings are popular. I don't think we can ever get enough retellings. And I love that. So I have four fairy tales that I based my poems off of. So there's Cinderella, all kinds of fur or all kinds of furs, Maid Maylene and Beauty and the Beast. And Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast are pretty well known. Um, I have a couple for each of them. With Cinderella, with one of them, I really wanted to look at one of the side characters. A lot of my poems look at the side characters, really. Um, Mm -hmm. So Cinderella, another Cinderella poem features a character from all kinds of furs. And that is um, not as well known of a fairy tale today, typically. There are lots of different names for it. There's a thousand furs um, is another name for it, but it's very similar to Cinderella in that there is a a ball and a prince and a disguised princess. But before that, um, the main character is a princess who escapes basically her father who wants to marry her. Like you could see why this is not a very popular fairy tale. Yeah. <laughs> and I read a retelling of this called Deerskin by Robin McKinley a few years ago. And I just loved it. It is one of the most like powerful, intimate looks at um, trauma survivors mm-hmm. from a fairy tale perspective. And I love that you can do that with fairy tales. And yeah. um, I'm also a trauma survivor. So that story really really stuck with me and spoke to me. And I kind of wanted to do a retelling of that, but Mm -hmm. instead I wrote a very long poem (laughs) called Stitches based on Mm -hmm. all kinds of fur. And one thing that I loved about Robin McKinley's version is that the love interest, a prince, is not your typical, like, you know, epitome of male attractiveness, you know, whatever (laughs) that is. Like he's like, he's, 
he's very kind and gentle. Like he loves to eat. He's a little bit chubby. Like he bonds with the main <laughs> character over their love of dogs. Like it's just it's so sweet. And I was like, I love that. Like I just a little bit of like body diversity and yes. you know, he's just not what you expect. And you're just so rooting for the two of them. So he was definitely a big part of my inspiration for the prince in my poem. And yeah, I just, I love that. And then, um, yeah, I have those two Beauty and the Beast poems. I have another one that's like, well, the two Beauty and the Beast poems that I wrote are very like romantic and sensual. And then there's another poem I wrote that's taking a very different approach and like, mm-hmm. you know, asking questions of it. And I like that they they all have different things to say and many of them have different things to say about the same fairy tale. And that is very common like throughout the anthology. You know, we have multiple poems by different authors who look at the same fairy tale. And I just, I love that. We've got like Little Mermaid is one that we have three different poems on. That's so fantastic. Rapunzel, I think is another one. There are several. So I just, I love that within each author's poems and as we're interacting with each other in our own poems there's just there's a lot to say I didn't know my voice was its own kind of legs a foundation that roared with the force of the ocean that carried me forward and gave me the power to run free there's actually two like we I wanted to talk about like the dialogue these poems have and like choosing where they go and there's two Rapunzel poems, especially that they are kind of point and counterpoint almost. They they take two very, one of soft lens and the other a sharp lens. And I loved, I loved just how poems throughout the anthology um, really did dialogue well together. And their order, I think, help do that too of where they were put so that you would kind of have okay here's one lens and then here's another how did you approach kind of where to put them and what order um yeah they go in yeah that's that's so interesting I had like several ideas that was one of the more challenging parts for me because I'm, I'm kind of juggling several different things like I don't want to lump all of authors, you know, one author's poems, like at the beginning, and then like, yeah. you don't see anything of them towards the end. And I, I played around with the several different ways of how to organize the poems. And eventually, I, <laughs> I had some help, and I very much appreciate <laughs> it. And um, Beth helped give me some feedback on that as well. So I really am very happy with how it ended up. And I'm, it's good to hear that other people feel the same too. I loved it. And I even think that the foreword with the first poem that opens it up, like there's just something beautifully, the flow of that is just gorgeous. (laughs) As I was reading, I'm like, ah, I love this. And I love that, that it was also a collective kind of, you know, getting some feedback from from Beth on, on the order for it. Because sometimes we do need that, like, okay, how does this flow together? This is what I'm thinking and kind of getting someone else's feedback on it. It felt like this kind of sisterhood of a project. Like Mm -hmm. I feel that throughout as I was reading it, that it is kind of that 
together collectively like like bringing it out and and even dialoguing together um I don't know if any of the poems were done after any of them had been written but some of them it almost felt like they kind of were in dialogue direct dialogue with it which made it really cool for me (laughs) to read yes I love again the Rapunzel poems I think there are like three in a row and it's kind of like they move chronologically. You could read them chronologically in a sense. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I like that, that part a lot. The fact that they dialogue normalizes the contradictions of these tales because there's so many versions of them that we've experienced and that we've read through and, and there's so many nuances to them and we can feel different ways about them. We can enjoy something and, but also like, take a critical lens to it too. How, how did you approach that as you kind of worked on your side of it and also kind of connected with everyone else writing them? Yeah. And maybe Beth, this is a question for you as well of how did you approach those things with your poems? Yeah, I I love that question. And I, I love that stories and fairy tales especially, or in this case, fairy tales especially, do invite us to look at something as more than one thing look at a story as more than one thing like I mean you have you have the stereotypical characters you know you might have the wicked stepmother or whatever but we can still see them as an invitation to humanize them Mm -hmm. and to not demonize them or set them on a pedestal as this like epitome of humanity or whatever and you know fairy tales aren't just one thing and one of the things I, I wanted to do and that a lot of us did was um, ask questions like, you know, who, who gets to decide what's beautiful and what's ugly, mm-hmm. who gets to decide why beauty gets to be associated with goodness? Like why is ugliness punished? Vanity had never been becoming for a woman, but it was all I'd known. It was all consuming. I looked forward to daily viewings of my perfection, looked forward to being showered in adoration, the object of great admiration. It was routine, set with intention, met with expectation of nothing less than the truth. It was I, the fairest of them all, in beauty, in grace, in my actions, in my rulings of the land, it was I. Beauty and the Beast is one of those that like, I remember watching the Disney animated film when I was a little kid and I have very vivid memories of watching that film and just loving it. Like I loved the music. I have so many good memories as a child of loving it, loving that whole film. And then, you know, as an adult, a little bit later, you watch and you're like, okay. (laughs) And like, I still, that is one of my favorite fairy tales today. And there are so many things that I'm like, yeah, like, let's talk about the fact that like, you know, in one of the earliest versions of the story, like beauty didn't even want the rose. She just didn't want to tell her father that she didn't want anything to make him feel bad. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's just a lot of like stuff to work with, a lot of stuff to you know, maybe imagine things differently or so. Yeah. It's just, I mean, I could talk about beating the beast for a really, really long time, but there's a lot to deal to talk about. Yeah, I agree. I think that one of the things that I find really fascinating with fairy tales 
and in folk tales too, is they feel like skeletons to me. And I think that's some of why they yeah. last so long is they feel like skeletons without flesh. And that allows people throughout history and decades and decades to add flesh to the stories in different ways and to look at them and compose them in different ways um, because they are so sparse. Like really when you read some of these originals, like the characters are pretty stereotypical and they are pretty, um, you know, like they're, they're the rough skeleton outline, the, the blueprint for something more. And I think it's really fascinating. I loved how just throughout the, the book and the poetry, different poems, mm-hmm. people put flesh to them in different ways. And they really did like create different characters from it and different mm-hmm. viewpoints from it. Um, it was just fascinating to me. I, and you could see like, like, I loved that each person came through in their poems too. Like you kind yeah. of got this sense of their, their approach or their wounds or their hurts. And it was really just, it was really fascinating. Yeah. I just, I love retellings. I think Stephanie, one of the first conversations we had was about the fairy tale. What is that collection called? Um, the, um, I always get the initials mixed up, but I think it's yeah. um, Arne Thompson Uther. Yes. Yeah. The classification system. Yes. Yeah, I remember that. It's so much fun. So much nerdy, nerdy fun. Yes. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> For those who don't know, there's like this catalog of fairy tales that kind of like groups them together by um, type and, and things like that. And it's just, it's fascinating. Absolutely. And it's interesting because that for me, at least was also a little bit of a tool in, I mean, anytime I work with fairy tales, I can call back to that because that way of classifying stories will show you a lot of overlap. Like, yes. um, you know, there's a lot of stories with ugly stepmothers, which I've already mentioned, or wicked stepmothers. Um, there are a lot of stories with, there's a Cinderella story rather where the daughters ask the father to bring home something for each of them, which is also a feature in Beauty and the Beast story. So it's just, mm-hmm. yeah. that can give you so many ideas as well. Cause like you said, mm-hmm. Beth, there's, there's skeletons and like, you usually don't get any of like what the characters are thinking. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. can supply that like you can supply their motivation and it can either align with one of the older stories or you can like take it in another direction with um the fairy tale made Maylene, which i have some poems based off of it's very similar to the goose girl um where this princess arrives in a, a kingdom kind of disguised but in the goose girl her servant turns against her Mm-hmm. And in Maid Maylene, like her servant, rather than turning against her, simply like disappears. And so when I read that story, I knew I had to write a poem from the maid's perspective as well, mm. because for me, I'm thinking we've all felt like we're just invisible at times and that mm-hmm. we're, we all just disappear and that we're trying to find our place. And also I love the concept of writing your own narrative and that's something that we do, whether we're aware of it or not. So I wanted to highlight the three women in that series of poems because Mm -hmm. it's just, there's so, there's so much to, uh, there's something to sympathize for each of them. And you're also challenging things like, okay, but why is the ugly one, the wicked one? Like, why Mm -hmm. does she have to be punished in the way that she does? Like, yeah, there's so many, so many little details that you can dig deeper in and and build something new from her beauty i would borrow her lovely voice i stole do you think me brutal wicked do you think i have no soul 
My soul and body paid the price of death humiliating. For beauty always wins, charms rules undeviating. One of the ones that really stuck with me um, was the knife one. And that's, it's what, it's a, a thing about Cinderella that's always <laughs> really rubbed me the wrong way and into the woods yes. does something with cutting off the heel. And yes. I just thought that one was very poignant and mm-hmm. and looked, looked at things from that kind yes. of side character's perspective. Did you want to speak to that poem at all too? Yeah. The first yeah. time you sent me that poem, Stephanie, like I got chills. It was so good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like when I read it, I'm like, Ooh. like I loved it. Thank you so much. Yeah, I most of us are familiar with like the older Cinderella where when the prince comes to find the woman who fits the shoe, the stepmother hands her daughters a knife and is like, cut off your foot, cut off part of your foot. And I had read that before, but when I read it again recently, that image just popped out into my head and I'm like, oh, hey, this is generational trauma. Like, <laughs> like you said, it's very poignant. It's something that many of us can relate to, even if it has nothing to do with a knife, it has nothing to do with, you know, that kind of violence. But, you know, we all have the opportunity to either pass things down or to look at them and and sit with them and question them and do the really hard work of of healing from them. I, I had to write a poem about that. And um, yeah, when I wrote it too, I think I cried. <laughs> it was very powerful for me too, just to put it in such succinct and vivid language. Yeah, that's a great point too. Like I, I think poetry has that opportunity to condense things and boil them down to kind of give them extra impact. And you see that in a lot of these poems. Yeah. It can tell a story with a lot fewer words and, you know, because of the form, you don't have a lot of details, but the details that you have really matter and are very um, vivid and evocative. Mm. The princes, how they try to slash through my thorns with armored steeds and flashing swords, though always they're greeted by my fiery hiss, for no prince shall ever live to deliver true love's kiss. Do you want to talk at all about the publishing process and like what that was like to um, actually, I mean, you've, you've self-published before, but was it different doing it with the whole group and how did that, what did that look like? Yeah, it was a little bit different, primarily in the formatting. So um, to get really technical, I have used um, Kindles or, you know, Amazon's publishing platform before KDP. I've also used Draft2Digital. Draft2Digital is a lot simpler when it comes to formatting. They Mm -hmm. usually do most of the formatting for you. One of my big lessons was learning that they did not keep a lot of the like specific poetry formatting that a lot of these poems have. So I had to find a lot of workarounds for that. Um, Mm -hmm. And it took a lot of like, (laughs) a lot of trial and error. So eventually like I did figure that out. And then there were some like hiccups with publishing from Amazon as well as Draft2Digital. Like you can publish directly through Amazon through (laughs) Draft2Digital. So, you know, you may have noticed like we have two different versions of the the hard copy, like the Amazon one has a green border and the one you'll find at Barnes and Noble or um, 
any of the other print stores is just a solid color cream with the same, you know, cover art. So yeah, I, I learned a lot of things. I like kind of made notes for like, if I ever publish poetry myself, or if I ever do another anthology, like here's some things I might be able to avoid next time. Um, but Love that. I mean, like sometimes we have to learn through experience like that. And yes. it's kind of the best way to figure things out is to just jump in and do it sometimes. Exactly. And I'm like, well, now I sort of know how to format poetry. I mean, there's always <laughs> something new to learn, but I guess I can add that to my list. <laughs> well, and that's the form of the poet poem it's so important like yeah. where those lines are and I think that's a great point but it's it's just an added thing to have to consider when, when you're trying to get it from the form that you've written it into to make it print in that same way so that it reads yes. it, with the same feeling with the same stops with the kind of those same things that really do add to the meaning and the the context of the poem yeah, Mike was, I was like formatting at one point and he was like, you always act like you never want to do this again. And then you do this again. I'm like, I know this is the, this is the not fun part. Every other part is great. I'm definitely going to do this again. <laughs> it's it's yeah. part of the process. It's, it's like the dark the night of the soul part of the yes. process, right? Before yes. it's coming out, it's like, I'm done. And, yes. and then you get there. <laughs> there are so many like labor and birth analogies. I'm like, Formatting is the transition phase. If I had to <laughs> pick one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's exactly. Yeah. And really that is, that is bringing a, a, a book of any type, but yes. it is that laborer, like <laughs> birthing it into the world. Yes. I love the, there's so many things that are like the maiden and the crone and like the, the, two faces of something and and not just something being one thing um about this collection just in general i i love how there's so many elements of even not just the the maiden and the crone there's there's other ones that kind of look at different kind of back and forth and things that feel like they shouldn't sit together but they do I think that there's so much here that kind of brings that nuance and complex ideas that can be discussed and further looked at. I loved every minute of <laughs> reading this collection. We've talked about a lot of different things as we've talked to, had this conversation. Um, are there any other pieces of advice that if someone was going to either start into poetry um, or, or try to do a kind of collection or try to work with other authors that, that you learned through the process. Obviously we've shared a lot of great things already. Is there anything else that you would kind of add to that? I would just emphasize some of the things we've already talked about, like give yourself a generous timeline because you can always scale it back if you need to, but you don't want to be rushing towards the end and then just be so stressed that you can't really appreciate all the hard work that you've done, you know? Mm. Yeah. I just, I would say, like you said, treat the whole thing like a learning process. Like I am very new at this. And um, if you told me two years ago that I'd be doing this, I'd be like, really, what am I doing in the next two years? Because that's, that's really <laughs> interesting. 
Um, but I really, I, I, I feel like I, <laughs> I recalled a lot of my, my child self who just like wrote stories in little paper books and mm-hmm. stapled them together and did it just mm-hmm. for the joy of it. And was like, yeah. I really think that these people that I invited are going to be authors who really enjoy that and who, you know, can, um, really participate in that and add a lot to that because I'm not like Instagram famous. I'm not social media savvy, (laughs) but we are really stronger together. And as cliche Mm -hmm. as that sounds, it's really true. So just for me specifically, because I am not a publishing house, I just really loved treating everyone like, like a group, like you're all here around the fire. I'm not going to say team because I don't like sports. (laughs) but you know we're all around the fire we're all doing this together you're gonna find so many cool things along the way if you do decide to do it and some difficulties but it'll all be worth it I love that so much thank you so much Stephanie for for joining us and talking through this with us it's been a delight um and we can't wait to see hopefully more of these poetry books in the future (laughs) yeah we hope you all enjoyed this conversation and that you would keep reading and writing and exploring and having fun um, with your work and your voice and putting it out into the world doing that scary thing 